Well, um, we're in this series called Flip the Script. And if you haven't picked up a journal, there's only a couple weeks left. And I think we have a few journals left. Uh, if you don't have one, just swing by the Connect Room, uh, which is the room in the back, on your way out today and grab a journal. Next week alone is worth the price of the journal. It's free. Um, but next week alone, so next week is Palm Sunday, which begins Holy Week. And what we have in the journal beginning next Sunday is a journey through Holy Week. And um, I remember when we put this together uh, a couple, about a year and a half ago, uh, this particular week, um, I had never seen anything that really walked through everything that Jesus did uh, each and every day of Holy Week. And this journal maps, like this is Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the way through, it maps and lists the scripture that tells what Jesus did on each one of those days. And it gives you a map of Jerusalem and the surrounding area and shows like where Jesus was, which I think is super cool. Now, I know I'm a nerd and many of you are just rolling your eyes at me right now. I can see you even though it's dark in the room. I can see you online rolling your eyes and be, but um, I, if, if you don't have a journal, just grab one. And if you have a journal, and like sometimes we do, you put it on your bookshelf thinking, I'm going to work through this journal this time. This is the time I'm going to actually do the journal. And you didn't. It's okay. You just dust it off and open it up in, in the next couple weeks. And this week is, is such a great week as well, what we're, what we're tackling. But we've done all kinds of parables of Jesus. Flip the script. Jesus had a way of flipping the script, didn't he? When you're expecting one thing and then Jesus comes along and he begins to tell a story and you think you know where the story's going, but you don't, he flips the script and he gives us something to think about. And the parables of Jesus, what we've talked about, parables literally means, parable means to set alongside. And Jesus told these stories to set alongside our real life so that we might be able to understand the proclamation of the good news or the kingdom of God, which was now present in the world in which we live. Um, I think we said it this, this way, um, that these are relatable stories that demonstrate this shocking announcement and the human realities, the things that we experience and uh, some of the responsibility we have as humans in God's family that are now present as Jesus is opening the door of God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And I think if you've been in the church for any amount of time, one of the great challenges to both these stories and the announcements of Jesus is that we have grown accustomed to the stories that we hear, and therefore we miss the power that is packed into these stories. And so I would beg you today, don't miss. Be because you're familiar maybe with, with a story, don't miss the power and the transformation that, that is available when the Spirit of God brings a story into your heart and your mind. Does that make sense? Like all of us, all of us need good news. All of us need good, good news. Every single one of us needs some good news in our life. And I think through these stories, we, we were awakened. If, if, 
if we'll make ourselves available, we're awakened to the presence of God and the power of God in our everyday lives. So you ready for a story? Yeah. All right. So um, now uh, Luke chapter 15, I think, is one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible. And in fact, if you're like me, and when you were in school, you bought Cliff Notes. Does anybody remember Cliff Notes? They were for the cheaters. <laughs> or like I, I like to say, they're for the wise among us. Come on, right? The Cliff Notes were the answers. Unless you had a teacher, like I did at one, t at one point, who found the mistakes in the Cliff Notes and asked those questions on the test. I was not a fan of that professor in school. Luke chapter 15 has so much. Um, so one scholar that I read um, said that Luke chapter 15 is the gospel in the gospel. It is the good news in the good news. It is the central message that Jesus wants us to understand. And there's, there's just so much here. And so as I was working through it, what you find in your journal on page 46 is the, the parable of there's the lost sheep and the lost coin and what is typically, typically, typically called the lost son or the prodigal son. You've heard that story before. I think it's a terrible name. I'll talk about that later. But as I was getting into it, I was like, you know what? What, what normally happens when we get to this point of, of the Gospels is we go right to the lost son because it's awesome. It's like one of my favorite stories. And we skip the other two. And so if you came today thinking we we're going to talk about the prodigal son, um, you got to come back on Easter because I'm going to talk about the prodigal son on Easter. And I'm going to rename it because it's the wrong name. Like they named it the wrong thing. And so I'm going to have to rename it. And some of you are like, well, what are you going to rename it? Well, you have to come on Easter in a couple, two weeks, just come back in two weeks, and we're going to talk about that one. And I want to talk about the two lost parables because of the lost son. See what I did? Okay. Now, um, some scholars would say, I'll just give a little bit of my nerd out real quick. Um, some scholars would say Jesus is just like, Throughout, if you read all of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are all the stories of Jesus, if you just read those stories again and again, you'll find that Jesus just is repeating the same thing over again. And it's these four things. These four things are the things that Jesus is talking about. He wants to talk about God's presence. He wants to talk about God's compassion. His compassion. He wants to talk about our restoration to God, our adoption, or our coming back to God, our entry into God's family, and he wants to talk about celebration, which is what the, the question had to do with today, celebration. He wants to talk about this, the joy that God has and uh, the joy of heaven, which is now breaking into the earth if we will but pay attention. So to understand the stories, the lost sheep and the lost coin, we've got to understand the context, and so this is how Jesus um, kind of sets up the, the context of the story. The tax collectors and other notorious sinners. I love that phrase. The notorious sinners, well-known sinners. 
There's some of you in the room today. Welcome. Some of you are like, is he talking about me? Yes. Tax collectors. Now, when we hear tax collectors, many of us think just the IRS. And a lot of times, you think the IRS, you think, oh, that's not a good thing. They're definitely sinners. I don't know why he like, says two things. But some of you might like the IRS these days because they're actually sending, they're printing money and sending it to everybody. But don't think about the IRS. Uh, tax collectors in the first century were actually, a lot of them were Jewish who were traitors, and they were extorting the Jewish people out of money. So these were like brothers and sisters and cousins and aunts and uncles who had turned on the Jewish people and were extorting them in unfair ways to steal money on behalf of Rome, a foreign occupation power. Does that make sense? So there was like more going on than just they were the regular people who were taking up taxes. So don't think IRS. Think about your brother stealing money from you. Don't hate your brother. Jesus said you should love your brother, but you know what I mean. You're with me, right? Sorry. Sometimes I do that. Okay. Tax collectors, other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people. And they would probably say the scum of the earth. People of the earth. The scum of the earth. They were mad because Jesus, Jesus was hanging with the sinful people. And he was even eating with them. Unbelievable. They were mad. Now, there were um, really four categories of Jewish people in Jesus' day that we read about. There were the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were the ones who were really particular about the law in the Old Testament, and you got to follow the law in order to get on good, God's good side. You know what I mean? Have you ever known anyone like this? Don't look at your left or your right, but have you ever known someone who really wanted you to follow the law, every little bit of the law? Do we have any ones on the Enneagram in the room today? Just follow the law and all will be good. And don't worry, if you don't follow the law, I'll let you know. Because I'm always watching. That's the one on the Enneagram. If you don't know what that is, that's what it is. So you had the Pharisees, the Sadducees, who kind of had connected with the Roman powers and were just trying to earn their way up into a more powerful position. You had the Essenes who really felt like the way God's kingdom would come was for them to get out of town, create a little subculture unto themselves, and if they could do that, then God's kingdom would come and destroy everyone else, and they would be God's people that would be living with God. And then you had the Zealots, and the Zealots believed that if they could get enough people around them to have an uprising, they could actually overcome the Roman powers by force with power. Does that make sense? So there were four little groups of, of Jewish people that were kind of thinking of how God would come back. But what's interesting about all four groups is that none of them really looked at other people in a graceful way. They looked at people in terms of God's chosen and the scum of the earth. 
those who are on our side and everyone else. I'm so glad that in our day and age, we don't deal with people who just view people in two categories. Those who agree with us and the rest of them. And I'm so glad that in our day and age, we don't believe that everyone who just simply agrees with us are God's chosen and everyone else is bound for hell. I'm so glad that we've moved beyond that. So they were really mad at Jesus. So Jesus has a couple stories to tell them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them, just one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will together with his friends and neighbors, he'll gather them and he'll say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. And in the same way, in that same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Jesus tells these stories, and we, like, read past them really quickly, but man, is he needling the people who are listening. And he's like, what would you do if you had 100 sheep? I mean, he's like, he, he wants them, this story is to be set alongside their lives. What would you do in your family if you had you know, a hundred and, and just one wanders off. Like, what would you do if that happened? Now, as I was kind of thinking about this story and different things um, that, that connect in our world to these, I was thinking, you know, for something to be recognized as lost, it has to have some value. You know what I mean? You don't recognize things that are lost if they don't have any value, do you? Like if it's something you don't care about, you don't really spend any time thinking about the fact that it's not there anymore. It's just gone. Now, if it has value, you notice it. I remember years ago when I lived in Oklahoma, um, one day I was, we were eating dinner as a family and uh, after dinner, I walked out to the garage. I opened the, the uh, door in the house that goes to the garage, and I realized that I had left my garage door up. And um, I thought, oh, that's strange. I never leave my garage door up. That's weird. And I walked outside, and I immediately noticed that there was something missing. You know what it was? Not my car. No, that would have been a good story. That would be much better. <laughs> this was much more valuable than the car. My golf clubs, yes. <laughs> My golf clubs were gone. And here's the deal. They might have taken a lot of things. They might have taken a shovel, a rake. I have no idea because those things have no value to me. My golf clubs, which I used like twice a year at the time, had in this um, 
huge value, and I noticed that they were gone. And I was thinking, for Jesus to tell stories about, like, there's nine, I mean, imagine this, there's 99 left. Like, why does it matter that one's gone? I mean, 90, like, one, 99 out of 100 is like an A+. Plus. That's not that bad. And I was thinking, I grabbed a couple pictures um, trying to get my mind back into that day, and I was thinking about the wilderness in uh, the area around Jerusalem where maybe Jesus was hanging out when he, when he told some of these stories, and I was thinking what it would be like to be a shepherd in the hillsides and in the canyons, like to take sheep to water. I mean, look at this picture. Can you, can you see it? I know it's a little tough because it's black and white, but this picture, which was taken in the first century, um, it wasn't, just kidding. Um, but maybe something like this. I mean, look at the shepherd in the middle and the sheep in this little canyon. How would he even notice that one had wandered off? How would, how would you notice? And I think Jesus wants us to be awakened to the fact that God notices. God sees you. He sees you when you wander away. He sees you when you drift off course. God's eyes are always scanning the earth. And he notices what we miss. And it's not that there were 99 here, it was that one was missing. And the shepherd had to go find the one because of how valuable that one was. And he goes on to say, when he finds it, he throws it on his shoulders. And I was thinking, I wonder what that's like. Like, I don't, I've never picked up a lamb. I've never picked up sheep. They seem like they wouldn't be easy to maneuver, but he throws it on his shoulders, and I found a couple pictures. Maybe this was what it looked like. <laughs> Messy and smelly, and could Jesus, I mean, the shepherd, could he even see where he was walking once he got the, the sheep on his shoulder? I don't know, like, but maybe it's more like this. That's probably a better image. And I loved this picture because of the smile. Just a smile, like I found, I found what was missing. Have you ever lost something of value? Um, Robin and I, in the summers, uh, for years have taken our boys to Florida for a couple of weeks. Usually uh, at the hottest, most humid possible time to go to Florida. And we spend a lot of time on the beach and um, I remember a number of years ago, so we have three boys, and some of you will relate to this. All three boys are very different. Your kids are very different, aren't they? You're like, how could they have been raised in the same place? But Calvin's our middle son. He's running, helping run cameras today. So um, Calvin, he's one that when we get to the ocean, he loves the ocean, he loves the animals and everything about it, but he's the cautious one. He stays close to the shore, which I'm so thankful 
I do not love getting in the ocean. I love to snorkel, but I just, you know, the ocean was not made for people. You know what I mean? It was made for animals who can swim, not for me who drowns. And so, you know, my other two kids, Charlie and Connor, have no fear. Do you have kids like this? No fear. They're just like all in, you know, and, and just no concept of getting in the water beyond where they can touch and their heads are poking out and then they're hopping out, you know, and every now and then they kind of hop up and then you see their feet and then they're diving. And so Robin and I, when they were super young, you know, we were out with them and as they got older, we, you know, as parents do, we sat in our chairs and just watched and, you know, made sure everything was good. And Calvin was awesome because he stayed close by and the other two would just go explore. And I remember a few years ago, you know, we're sitting in our chairs and we're watching the boys and we're talking and we're people watching because that's one of the best things to do on the beach is to make up stories about people. <laughs> and so we're talking and we're making up stories and Calvin and boys and pretty soon uh, in Florida where we go, there's, there's kind of a current that pushes uh, a certain direction on the beach. And our boys know this and we always tell them, hey, you always keep your eyes on the condo that we stay in, like that set of condos, because that'll keep you in the right flow of water. And so you just keep your eyes here. And so we're watching them, and they're, you know, we, know that, we know that they're watching us. And they're diving and getting you know, sand dollars and all the kind of stuff that they do. And I remember looking at Robin and going, do you see Charlie? She looks out, and she's like, I think that, no, that's not him. And we got Calvin. I see Calvin, I see Connor, he's our oldest. Where's Charlie? Have you ever had one of those moments as a parent? And I'm the like calm, no big deal, it's gonna be fine. I'm like, oh, it's okay, he's fine, we'll find him. Hold on just a second, I, I got it. And then I don't see him. I'm like, hey, I'm okay, you just stay here, I'm gonna go walk down the beach and just see if he's kind of drifted off and you know, that only lasts for about a second before your heart just drops because something of great value is missing. And Robin got up and we walked up and down that beach. You know, where, where is Charlie? And we're, you know, we're scanning the water, just waiting for a head to pop up and his feet and like I said, the ocean is not for people, so there's not a chance I'm going out in the water yet until I see him, and then I'll go get him. But, you know, we don't need two of us to drown, like just one of us. It's kind of like, and I'm just, and Robin's a great swimmer. So, Rob, you go. I'm, you know, <laughs> she is. She's, she's swam her whole life and all that. And um, so, you know, we're down the beach, and then that moment comes where you turn and here's this little boy with the biggest smile on his face running down the beach looking, you know, looking at you. And you're like, oh, my gosh. I told you it was going to be fine. Like, he's good. And, you know, and where were you? You know, that whole thing. And Jesus paints this picture of that when one is lost, God not only notices and he goes on a search, but when he finds you, there's a party in heaven. And if there's a party in heaven, there should be a party on earth.
And you have all these religious people who are mad that Jesus is on a rescue mission. Are you with me? And maybe, maybe some of you here today have wandered. And maybe you've wandered to the point where you feel like you're beyond reach. And I want you to know God notices. And he sees you. And if you don't hear anything else today, and that's you, God sees you. And he's after you in a good way. And just to make sure that we get the point, Jesus keeps going. Like, that's not just it. It's not just about a sheep who wanders off. But listen to this. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her neighbors and friends and she'll say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. And in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Now, Coins don't choose to wander off, do they? That's not a trick question. Do they? <laughs> Coins just get lost at times. And I was thinking, I was going to ask someone in the room to give me some coins today, and then I realized nobody carries coins anymore. So I found some coins, and um, I started thinking, here's a penny. I got a shiny penny. How many of you would turn over your house if you lost a penny? Anybody? Most of you won't even pick one up on the parking lot if you see it laying there, will you? You know, because it's gross. It's because you don't value that penny, do you? you just, it's just a penny. And I thought, well, what about a nickel? I got a nickel. This one's not as shiny, but I've got a nickel, and I thought, would I turn over my house looking for a nickel? And I thought, I, you know, I didn't even know I had a nickel in my house, and I found this one just by chance. And so, no, I probably wouldn't turn over my house. You probably wouldn't either. I've got a dime. Probably same thing for you. You, don't, you have no idea how many dimes you have in your house right now, do you? No? So that doesn't count. What about a quarter? So today I asked earlier this morning, would you turn over your house to look for a quarter? And one of the college students said, yes. Laundry machines. I was like, well, okay. But most of us wouldn't turn over our house for a quarter either. And then, guess what I found in my house? I didn't even know I had this. A Susan B. Anthony dollar. I think that's what this is. And I don't even remember what it is. But I thought, would I turn over my house? I didn't even know I had this in my house. So no, I probably wouldn't turn over my house to find this. And I don't know that you would either because you don't value. It doesn't feel like it has much value in it. And so... You don't even notice when it's lost. And, and then I thought, it's, it's when things have great value that we search the hardest for them, right? It's when things have this immense value that we really search long and hard to find it. And that's the picture that Jesus is painting. I was talking about coins years ago in a sermon. And uh, a friend walked up the next week and he said, I want you to have this. I have a gift for you. And I was like, well, what is it? And he said, 
Um, you know, you were preaching last week on that story about the Pharisees who came to Jesus and they were trying to trick him, and they said, should we pay taxes to Rome? Do you guys remember this story? It's a crazy story. They're trying to trick him. Should we pay taxes to Rome? And Jesus says, do you have a coin? And um, somebody brings a coin and he says, whose image is on this coin? You guys remember that story? And it was Caesar's image on the coin. He said, well, this is a denarius. And he said, this is a real silver denarius, which is what this story is about, that we're talking about, from between the years of 27 B.C. and 14 A.D. This is a, a real denarius. Here's a picture um, that I took uh, of this denarius. At least he told me it was a denarius, and I believe him. So uh, if you had this and you couldn't find it, would you look for it? I mean, it's pretty cool to think that this was around in the ancient world in the days of Jesus. And that this is the kind of coin that Jesus was talking about in stories like this. This was worth about a day's, um, a day's worth of labor. Usually for men, most women didn't work in the same way. And so this was, uh, this was about a day's worth. And she only had 10 says nothing about anyone else in her household. And when you only have 10 of these, it's worth a day's uh, work. You're probably going to look for it if it gets lost. Because your life depends on it. If I lose this, I mean, I'm not even going to... I keep it in a little plastic thing because I don't want it to get lost with my pennies and nickels and dimes and all of that because it's probably valuable. It is to me at least. Even if it holds no like monetary value, this is valuable to me because of what it represents. Are you with me? What's interesting about this, and you can see it, that's the image of Caesar on it. It's the image of Caesar. And that little story that Jesus told or the story that he was in when he was talking about the coin with Caesar's image. Do you remember what he said? Give to Caesar what's Caesar, but give to God what's God's. And it reminded me, this coin just has an image of Caesar on it, but you have been implanted with the image of God. which means you have unbelievable value. You know what else it means? It means the people that are different than you and who have a different view than you and who are on the outside of where you are also have unbelievable value to God. And if it has value to God, if it has value to God, I think Jesus wanted this, the, the Pharisees to get this. It should have value to you. And you shouldn't get so mad about God loving people who see things a little different than you. And I thought to myself, 
Man, that's a word that we need to hear today, isn't it? We, we divide ourselves over everything imaginable. I get, I get pulled in, just like you do, to believing that if only they could get their act together, if only they could begin to act or see or think like I think, then, then, nope. God has already placed a high value on every human being that we encounter. And not only that, but God left everything in heaven to go on a search and rescue mission to find what was most valuable to him. And for many of us, we would say he found us and he redeemed us, and he restored us. And there was a party in heaven when that happened, but the search is not through. It's not over. God is on a rescue mission, and he's after Terry and Stacy and Nick and Emily and Ann and Steve and Joe and Kenan and Scotty and Wesley and Keen and Luke and Nevin and Bev Nelson and Ben and even Kirk, Zane and Connor. I mean, he's on a rescue mission and he's given up everything because of the value he's placed on every human life. And it's like we don't agree with him and we condemn instead of love. And um, I think Jesus wants us to wake up. And he wants us to go on mission, on a search and rescue mission with his son, Jesus. That's what he wanted the Pharisees to do, I think. And so will we, you know? Will we join him? So how we're going to close today is... um, I want to lead us through a a short time of prayer together, and we'll sing one last song, and if you need to slip out while we're doing doing that, it's okay, but I just want to invite you to pray with me, and I have three moments of prayer for us, and we're going to start with this one, and it's just an acknowledgement that we all wonder, and that God never gives up on us. So in your space, however you want to do this, just take the next minute and Talk to God. Now, um, the second, I think I need to acknowledge, I think we need to acknowledge 
how often we devalue others. And, and we, need, we need God's compassion and his love to overwhelm us so that we might share that with others. So for the next minute, pray in your words. Just talk to God. Finally, um, I think we should be specific. Many of you gave us a name of someone who was far from God, and we've been praying with you for that person. But you know what? All of us have people around us that desperately need God's love, His compassion, His grace. And so would you Pray for someone specifically in these moments. So, Father God, we, um, we hear you through these stories that Jesus told. We, we understand that you are seeking and saving those who have wandered, those who have been lost. I pray that we would hear that the truth that when we wander off course, you You'll leave the 99 to, to come and find us. God, thank you for not giving up on us. And may you flip the script within us. Give us the wisdom and the courage to live differently than what this world is inviting us to do in this cultural moment. Help us to value people because of the image you've given them, that you've implanted deep within them. And yes, God, all of us have cracks and scars, but it doesn't replace what you've put on us. God, may we join you. May we join you in your search with the compassion that you have. And may we celebrate with joy. May we celebrate with great joy every lost one who comes home. In Jesus' name, amen.